Welcome to Security Visionaries, a podcast powered by Netscope, focused on bringing you conversations with senior executives from the world of cybersecurity, technology, trust, and networking. This episode features a conversation between Shamala Naidu, Head of Cloud Strategy and Innovation at Netscope, and Homera Akbari, President and CEO of Acknowledge Partners. Moderated by Steve Weber, a professor at UC Berkeley in the School of Information and a partner at Breakwater Strategy. As co-authors of the recent book, The Cyber Savvy Boardroom, Essentials Explained, Shamal and Homera discuss their impetus for writing this book, how it addresses evolving trends in cybersecurity, and the sorts of feedback they've received on it from their peers. Here's our conversation with Shamala, Homera, and Steve. Welcome to the Security Visionaries podcast. My name is Steve Weber. I'm a professor at UC Berkeley uh, in the School of Information and a partner at Breakwater Strategy, which is an advisory firm based out of Washington, D.C. It's an honor for me to host this podcast. I've spent 10 years in and around the cybersecurity world from the technical side, the business side, the policy side. And one of the most interesting and challenging and important dynamics has been the cybersecurity conversation as it happens in the boardroom watching directors grapple with oversight and governance of this really fast-moving and complex set of risks. And into that mix now come Homaira Akbari and Shamla Naidu with a new and very compelling book, The Cyber Savvy Boardroom. I'll say it's, it's remarkable um, on a number of different dimensions, but most for me, mostly for its readability, um, its immediate practical usability, and frankly, the scope of its coverage. So let's start from the beginning. Um, Homaira, Shama, tell us uh, who you are. How did you come to write this book and, and why now? I am Homaira Akbari, President and CEO of Acknowledge Partners. I started my career as a scientist in particle, experimental particle physics and worked at Stern European Center for Nuclear Research. I spent half of my business career leading technology businesses with companies such as Thales in, in France and Microsoft, Liberty Media, and was the CEO of uh, Skybits, um, an IoT company. I'm currently on board of the Rexor Bank with Santander and Landestar System. In my current role at Acknowledge Partners, I work with large, large corporations and private equity in domains of security, cybersecurity, IoT, energy transition, and artificial intelligence. Shama. So I'm Shamla Naidu. I'm a longtime technologist. I spent four decades in technology, and about half of that time I spent as a leader of cybersecurity in large organizations. I'm on three public company boards, and I teach emerging technology law and global privacy law at the University of Illinois. So, you know, I bring three different perspectives to the same conversation, which is being a practitioner, being on the receiving end of those board updates, and then learning and understanding the regulatory commitments and obligations of the board. Talk about why now. Talk about the timing and the importance of um, the urgency of the book in 2023, moving into 2024, if you would. Realistically, this book should have written a year ago or several years ago. But um, but the urgency now um, is that, as you have seen, Steve, and as everyone has seen, Every day we have news of a cyber breach and these cyber breaches are becoming larger and larger and bigger and bigger and they're extending. It used to be that it would be only financial services or healthcare, but now it's extending across all industries, all customer 
all entity sizes, whether they are not-for-profit or family offices or large public or private companies and small ones equally. And that is specifically due to ransomware, which is basically a type of attack that data or other assets of of an entity gets compromised and then gets hijacked, if you like, encrypted and hijacked, and for it to be released by the hackers, they request for money. And uh, so that has become a really a criminal matter now, and every every sector, every company is subject to that. Secondly, the reason which is there's urgency is um, many regulators, and specifically in the U.S., SEC, just adopted disclosure rules for com- public, it is primarily for public companies, but as you know, usually private companies follow that as well, which is to report any material breach within four business days through filing an 8K. So all of a sudden it has put cybersecurity similar to the other risks that organizations have. Additionally, SCC has... Um, has um, now requires companies to also uh, develop or ex- elaborate on their strategy, governance, and um, an organization of how they support um, the organization against cyber risks um, and bring all of that information into their 10K on annual basis. So boardroom more than ever is now involved in cyber, in supervising cybersecurity risk and in ensuring that um, SCC requirements and generally other regulatory requirements are met. Shamla, anything to add to that from your perspective? This is the first time you've sat down and taken the the time it takes to write a book. Um, why now? What, what what where was the urgency for you? You know, um, what I would add is that right now businesses are going at just lightning speed, right? And every company, I would argue that most are already digital companies of some sort, but they are all increasing their digital footprint. But we live in a data economy, so we creating and, and, and producing more data than we have ever done. Our technology is working faster and faster. And frankly, those are all good things because they bring huge opportunity for business growth. At the same time, though, we need to pay a corresponding effort and a corresponding um, level of attention to the cybersecurity risk because larger digital footprints increase the exposure points. They increase the the opportunity for compromise, they increase the opportunity for theft and other kinds of fraudulent activities. And so I think right now is the time for board directors as they overseeing strategy is not just to focus on, you know, the good things, but also to give the corresponding level of attention to the things that could go wrong, which is what boards are tasked to do. But what we're trying to do with this book and why now is to create attention to create an awareness in that community that they do need to look here, that they cannot bypass this time. Interesting. So it's almost as if every time we see the word digital transformation being used, we should make sure that the word cybersecurity is in the same sentence or the next sentence. Um, let me come back to you, Hamira. Um, let's talk about, look, for, for even for the... Um, uh, le- least savvy or the most savvy from a technical perspective directors 
There are a lot of publications. There are courses devoted to educating board members on cybersecurity. Um, obviously, you're bring this book into that environment. How did you structure this book um, with all those alternatives in mind? What was different about it from your perspective in terms of adding real value to a, a crowded but still um, uh, tough to serve educational need? Well, Shamla and I actually studied, if you like, what was in the marketplace. And the impetus for writing our book was because we saw a gap, in fact. So what we saw, what, what exists now primarily is writings, books, pamphlets, which talk about basic, um, if you like, basic terms of cybersecurity and what it is or basic concepts. And then it jumps usually to sometimes hundreds of questions that board members can ask as CISOs. We have both noticed and observed in real time that some of my board director colleagues would ask these questions in, in a boardroom. CISO would respond to that and they the board member would say, ah, okay, thank you. But there's no really meaningful discussion and engagement with the CISO and with the management as a whole to really understand what were behind these answers and whether, you know, to, you know, what you do, for example, when you ask an accounting question or financial question, there's frequently a debate. And usually when when you see in cybersecurity, there's no debate because really there is the, the board member does not does not have that basic and that foundational knowledge of cybersecurity. So that's what we decided to do, to create in a short volume, fairly short volume, 80 pages, that foundational knowledge that every board member needs. And then our plan is that they will continue building on that knowledge on that platform. And, you know, it's a continuing learning, as we know, specifically for cybersecurity. But what was very unique, what we did was, is we created, you know, a series of mental models that really can be digested in a graphics format and can be digested fairly rapidly by intelligent board members, of which, you know, all the directors are highly accomplished people. And those were, you know, the way we defined it is a series of maps. We have four maps across the book, but the first map is defining uh, business asset groups, and we basically created 10 categories uh, of those. For example, data is one business asset group, financial assets, and people are the other ones. But we have about 10, in fact, 10 business asset groups, and we define them. Once we define them, then we went to, to, to show what are, you know, how, why hackers are after these business asset groups? What kind of gain do they get by accessing it? And what are their motivation? Why they would do it? How they would do it? And that brought us to attack, what we call attack vectors. So we mapped into each business asset group the attack vectors that exist today to attack these business asset groups, either to get to them directly or to use them as a conduit to get to crown jewels of the organization, whereby, for example, data is defined as crown jewels, not only, but just, you know, but what one of them. We then moved on to map three, and map three was about, again, the same 10 business asset groups. We showed what, how do you protect them? So we showed the, the, the typical way that today defense strategy of a good 
company of a good organization which has a very good or you know pre- preferable security posture has actually de- defends these particular business asset groups and then we come to map four whereby we provide metrics again for each business asset group as to show the efficacy of the protection and then we also include because this is the defense system is not just protection but in cybersecurity is also detection risk response and recovery, we also included metrics about measuring efficacy of the security posture through testing, as well as showed metrics for detection and response. Um, I, I think this is unique uh, that has never been done and it's very comprehensive, but it's also very easy to digest and to learn. Yeah, I will say from a reader's perspective, I think other readers will find the same thing. These mental map constructs really, really help to put some definition around priorities and the hierarchy of questions to ask. So uh, for me, certainly that was quite new and, and quite important and helpful. Shamla, let me come back to you and ask specifically about cloud. Um, for so many organizations of so many different sizes, uh, digital transformation has now become a conversation about moving to cloud um, in all sorts of different configurations. And So let's talk about the cloud. And when you think about that cloud um, transformation, cloud migration, uh, what kinds of possibilities, what kinds of questions does that raise um, for the board specifically with regard to security? You know, I think when we added the cloud concept to the book, that was an important topic because in the boardroom, most board directors understand the concept of speed. They understand that we need to build capability really quickly. And when you tell them that you're going to, you know, either put something in the cloud or you're going to consume some service from the cloud, the immediate connection is that, oh, this is going to happen a whole lot faster because I don't have to have our team spending the time and the effort to build out the basic capability. Somebody else already did it. We're just going to buy it, borrow it, lease it, et cetera, and we're going to use it, build our, you know, uh, proprietary capability on top of it, and it's going to be ready for market really quickly. So, you know, everyone sees the benefit of the cloud, and that speed is a currency in boardroom conversations. The question, though, for us was, you know, what should they know about how it might go wrong? So, for example, they, you know, is it obvious that the infrastructure that supports the cloud environment is outside of their physical control? What are the things they should do that they, you know, would otherwise not have done if it was in their data center? And so that really was the reason we focused on this topic is they need to understand the risk of putting things in the cloud. And it's not always about what you can touch and feel. Sometimes it's about who do you need to oversee? Who do you need to supervise? What kinds of expectations should you have from your partners and third parties, etc.? But, you know, again, with all the great benefits comes risk, and they have to figure out how they're going to oversee those risks in the most efficient way to get to the outcome they want. Great. Shama, I'm going to um, uh, jump off your point about risk because it's such an important one. Uh, lots of directors that I talk to talk about themselves essentially as risk managers in an oversight setting. And I want to come back to you, Hamara, and ask about your view and the way the book addresses this question of cyber risk appetite. You can't reduce your risk to zero. 
you're spending on services, products, processes inside the organization to improve cybersecurity. And the natural question um, to be asked is, how do I know I'm getting return on investment and getting value in terms of modulating the risk to where I want it to be? So talk about how the book helps decision makers or directors in this case specifically think about risk constructively in that context. Steve, we do give a number of examples and a number of guidelines. And then and then from there, we also, as I mentioned earlier, we do talk about a set of metrics, uh, which um, which would be also helpful to measure that whether those those investments have returned. But let me first go to the, you know, sort of examples. What we talk about is, uh, so first of all, you know, board has to be comfortable that the organization is making the necessary financial and non-financial, and I want to emphasize non-financial investments, to prevent those attacks that are that are preventable and defend against those attacks which are not preventable. So one measure is, of course, to look at, you know, when coming to financials, to look at best-in-class. And one of some of the best-in-class cybersecurity defenders who have best defense ecosystem are tier one financial institutions or banks. So a typical tier one bank would spend somewhere between 500 to $1 billion a year, Steve every year on cybersecurity. And that usually corresponds to 5 to 10% of their IT budget. You know, obviously smaller companies, I mean, that's tier one, they are banks and they're really best in class, but the smaller companies would probably, obviously will not have the ability to spend that kind of money. Using that five to 10% of your IT budget is a good measure, except if you were quite a small and that budget for IT is fairly small, you probably have to spend more like 15 to 20% of that budget. The key point is what we you know, earlier said, when you think about defense, when you say, I need to defend myself against cybersecurity risk, there's four aspects to it. There's protection of your assets, there is um, threat uh, detection, and then response to that attack, and then recovery from that attack. Because invariably, you are going to have some cyber breach. So, you know, so you need to make sure that you have that security posture defined and and secured, if you like, or created. And therefore, you have this in class and, you know, or various tools in place. But I would be missed if I don't finish this explanation by emphasizing that non-financial investment. And what is that? It's really first and foremost for an organization to have the right cyber culture. What do we mean, what do we mean by that? It is really awareness across the board, starting with the CEO and executive team, their awareness, their engagement with cybersecurity, all the way to every single employee of the company. And, you know, what we know today is still two-thirds, maybe closer to 80% of all breaches are due to some error, intentional or non-intentional, done by people within the organizations or by subcontractors. Therefore, that awareness that building cyber cybersecurity culture by the CEO saying, I, I believe in it, I am committed and dedicated to it, which would then flow through the organization and also making sure all of you know the executives are responsible. 
It's not only CISO, and Shamla can tell you more since she's been a CISO, that is responsible for cybersecurity. Shamla, let, let me come back to you um, and ask you the question uh, of the day, which sure is on everyone's mind right now. Uh, you folks started writing this book when large language models were still a research um, toy that folks in laboratories and universities were playing around with. I guess it's about eight or nine months ago now, uh, ChatGPT bursts onto the scene and suddenly is one of the most interesting and intriguing and important developments in the word AI is everywhere. Um, so talk about how the rise of technology like generative AI, ChatGPT, uh, changes or accelerates the need uh, for a book like this and the kinds of changes that Homira just spoke to, including the, the cultural changes. You know what's interesting about that, Steve, is that a decade ago, we had the same reaction to cloud technology, right? And so in the recent past, it was cloud. Now it's artificial intelligence and in particular, large language models. You know, in a year or two, it's going to be the quantum computer. And the point is that innovation doesn't stop. It's so there's going to be constant innovation. We're going to be faced with new technologies, new approaches, new architectures, new tools constantly. Right? That's just the nature of technology. And so the idea here, I think, is we need to be prepared for anything. And board directors in particular have to understand the pace of change and that they need to, you know, create their foundational knowledge pretty quickly because that's the biggest gap, right? If you don't have a foundation, all this great information out there is going to land, but it doesn't land on a strong foundation, which means that you cannot really build from it. This book, I think, is going to give them the foundation from which they can build to be prepared for those new technologies, new constructs that are going to come at them. And so the idea is this is the beginning of the learning. It's not the learning. It's the foundation upon which other knowledge is going to be built. So I would say, you know, be prepared for the innovation of the future. This book is going to give you the basic concepts, the approaches, and the models upon which to think about the future of innovation. But, you know, large language models is a big topic right now. It is a topic because we live in a data economy, right? There's data everywhere. Most of the data has been invisible until this technology has been made available to us. So we can grab the business insights that are embedded in all of this data. And so now I think is the opportunity for us to focus on data, data protection, uh, the risk of data, the risk of error, the risk of omissions, and all of those other risks that are embedded in the large language model that we're going to use for our businesses. But again, it's the foundation. If I could add, Steve, to that, um, what, what is very interesting is in the book, we do talk about emerging technology, as Shamla mentioned, and we specifically talk about AI and chat GPD, but we also talk about IoT. But for example, when it comes to IoT, we talk about the fact that 80% of cyber risks are very similar to anything else that we've had, but then there are specificity to it. In case of uh, ChatGPT or AI, one of the big risks, as we all know, is you know feeding the model the wrong data. 
And as a result, getting results which are incorrect because you have, you know, you have the, you know, you, you actually created fake data, which brings us to something called deep fake, where it, the data becomes so fake, so unbelievable, you know, so unbelievable in some ways, but some people believe in it, that creates what's called deep fake. So, so I think that exactly what Shamla said uh, is um, that, you know, we, we talk about uh, how um, emerging technology, how you should think about it, but then we do give some specificity for these cases. So I think we, we do help uh, the, the board member to think the topic of the jour, <laughs> how they should go about it. Quite sure there'll be a new one in 2024 and uh, that will get tested as we go. Omar, let's talk a little bit about the way in which boards uh, do and should evaluate themselves. Uh, it's obvious you kind of have a large number of boards and public companies and so on and so forth. And people ask themselves, how are we doing? How do we know that we're doing, we're doing well? What, what does good look like is the question that I think we all hear a lot. Um, so if a board wants to evaluate its company, think of maturity or excellence in cybersecurity, how should they go about it? And how does the book talk about metrics and comparisons and answering that question, what does good look like relative to what others are doing? Steve, we have a whole chapter around this called Chapter 7, where we talk about metrics for um, for measuring, because, you know, it's a question that has been asked millions of times from by board members and CISOs and other other um, people in the ecosystem. Um, in chapter seven, the, the approach we took is we basically define two sets of metrics. One is operational level metrics and the other one is board level metrics. Operational level metrics is corresponds to that map four that I earlier talked about, which basically shows for each business asset group how to measure the efficacy of your protection and then of your detection and response methodologies that you use. It also talks about the fact that you could that you need to measure or test the security posture of the organization, which really gives you one measure, not the only one, but one measure of that maturity. We then come come to board level metrics, and to our knowledge, nobody really has created this concept that Chamla and I have created. That this board level metrics actually has five components, two of which are operational. So one was, you know, as an input would be, what is your cybersecurity program efficacy and regulatory compliance, and what is your cybersecurity risk profile, which comes from that operational metrics that I mentioned, but it also add on three more assessments. One is what's your cybersecurity culture. Second is what's your investment levels and insurance coverage. And lastly would be how your organization, what is your organization's readiness, if you like, to manage cyber breach impact. And this, we think, we don't believe any organization is using this the way we have articulated it, but we believe once they do that, they're going to be able to determine the maturity of their organization. And for us, this is um, this is the key. Wonderful. Um, let me um, turn back to you, Shamla. The, the, you know, the, between you and Hamira, you um, live and breathe the cybersecurity universe every day. Uh, you've been on so many different sides of that puzzle. And um, I, I, I found it very important, actually, to 
at the end of the book to get a sense of like, look, what do you think is the most important reflections, thoughts, and takeaways that people really need to um, bring home with them at the end of the day? Because prioritization is such an important piece of this conversation. So um, talk a little bit about the closing thoughts, reflections at the end of the book, the stuff that matters the most to you that pe- readers take away from it. So, you know, I think I would start with, we all know how to measure the benefits of technology, right? And that's the easy, that's the easy part. What we struggle with is measuring, calculating, and really confronting the issues when they go wrong, right? And the board is charged with that. So to help them, I think we need to think about, you know, there's a lot of upside to the technology. How can it go wrong? Importantly, I think, unless you're a cybersecurity company and you're selling cybersecurity product or services, the revenue generation is not from your cybersecurity practice. Revenue is generated from your business practices. However, the security practices, the technology, the tools, the controls, etc., they enable those businesses. So when we're calculating the upside of our business and the revenue that we generate from our business, we need to offset that with the cost of security because it really is, it's that it's not just a business enabler, but it's an investment in that revenue that you generate. Okay? So once you take out the investment, you say, okay, this is how much money I made in my net profit. So it's yes, it's a cost to do business, but it's the cost of the revenue. So that's an important consideration. I think the other thing to remember is that leadership for this topic is not interchangeable with the technology and the tools for the topic. So we need good, strong leaders that can help the board with risk selection. How do we pick the biggest risks that face the company and then wrestle them to the ground? And then how do we pick up the next that that are on point? You know, and we just keep um whittling away at our risk because if we just focus on the tools and the technology, how do we know that we're focusing on the right things with the right level of priority? And we have, you know this, we have so many issues that we can confront. It's not possible to confront them all at the same time with the same level of rigor or the same level of investment. So selecting those risks carefully is what I think the CISO and the security leaders have to help the board to do. this, And then, you know, I would also say that it's really important that you have a good, rich, open, transparent dialogue. So the board should have dialogue with the CISO, not just about the status, not just a status update. It should really be a risk discussion on what are we not doing? What are we not focused on? What haven't we spent enough time on? Because we all know there's just not enough time to do it all. And so there needs to be some transparency on on that discussion. And the CISO shouldn't be the only leader that's on point for this topic. Every business decision, every business area, when they make money, they know how to report that. They should also be tasked with knowing and understanding how cyber impacts them, how it enables them, and how it might constrain them and how it might hurt them or harm them. And so business leaders have to start taking as much accountability for the results as the CISO does, because cybersecurity is not the business. 
It is just a part of everything else that you do. So I think the cyber IQ, the cyber culture are all really important considerations. And then, like I said, lastly, you know, the CISO is not the only executive that should be on point for what fails or what's successful. Interesting. Hamara, any additional thoughts about the most important, most powerful takeaways, the quality of strategic conversation at the board level about the cybersecurity risk profile's relationship to the business? What's the most important takeaway that should sit with people and live with people as they, as they finish the book? Steve, there are tens of takeaways in our book, <laughs> and we, we, we do have these columns. But, but yes, I, I do have one takeaway, and that's based on, again, many times this question has been asked from me specifically, and also I think from Shamla, how is it that we can be 100% secure? What can we do to be 100% secure? I want to spend enough to be 100% secure. I've been asked that even once by CEO of a Fortune 50 company, how come the government doesn't make us 100% secure? They can, they, they said. And the reality is, no, you cannot be 100% secure. Why? There are three reasons for it. First reason is that basically... All companies and government and any, you know, any entity in the world, including consumers, are relying on outdated technologies and IT systems that were not designed with security in mind. And they, they create vulnerabilities. And the issue is many of those vulnerabilities are not obvious today. today. And, and then its second reason is that we... Every day, we are adopting new technologies, new innovations, some of which even have security in, designed in it. But as soon as they integrate with these old technologies, they become vulnerable too, or they create vulnerabilities even in the old technologies. So that, that you know, that increasing attack surface and impacting what that, you know, the surface that we already have creates tons of vulnerabilities some of them unknown to us and some of them are not, not known, like um, the so-called zero-day vulnerabilities. And lastly, this is one sector where you have adversary. You have armies of people who are paid extremely well, who are very, you know, some of them are extremely wealthy, and organizations, criminal organizations, which are actually looking for vulnerabilities and exploiting them. And they, you know, why we were asked, why do they get to it before us? Because, because of the, the first two that I mentioned, because we just are not aware. And these people are actually working continuously and they are smart people to look for these vulnerabilities. As a result, you're not, you know, you're never going to be 100% um, secure, which is why detection, having good threat intelligence, having working and coordinating and cooperating with the government and other businesses and other entities um, is very important to have that threat intelligence and be able to detect, respond, and recover from any cyber breach. It's a really important lesson. I remember going back to what we were talking about earlier, what does good look like? Nobody should ask the question, what does perfect look like? Because there is no perfect. And maybe even what does good look like isn't the right question. I take away from what you just said that maybe the right question is, how do we know we're getting better and getting better faster than our adversaries are? You know, Steve, I, I would add to that. That's such a great point because all risks are not the same across all companies, right? And so it's what's appropriate and what's within your appetite. And one thing I would say to board directors is just say what you want. Just be clear on what you think is material, because in the absence of that, 
CISOs will try really hard to give you what they think you want and what they think you need. So just be clear on what is material to this company at this point in time, to this board, what's important, what do you want to know? And, you know, I will tell you that from being a practitioner myself, CISOs will give you what you need. But if they're guessing, expect them to get it wrong. Fantastic. Well, look, I've had the advantage of the opportunity to read the book, but many of our listeners probably have not. So uh, can we close out by um, explaining where they can get a hold of this book? Where can the audience find the book? When will it be available? It will be available starting September 5th, and it will be available at Netoscope um, URL. Shamla, any last thoughts to share with our audience today? I would say read what your boards are reading. So read the book so you know what kinds of questions you should anticipate when you get in front of them in that boardroom. Thank you both so much for uh, doing this podcast today, but thank you even more so for writing this book. I think it will be a tremendous resource for many directors. I hope it is widely read and distributed and enjoyed by those who read it and used, most importantly. Thank you for listening to Security Visionaries. Please take a moment to rate and review the show and share it with someone who might enjoy it. Stay tuned for episodes releasing every other week, and we will catch you on the next one.